yes. And so just kicking in things off today. So, so Charles, so you've begun looking at the sales items. And so what's this you're saying about novel values? When I, mer you know, when I merge it with the, with the valid lab results, they'll turn out. No, but I think there's a typo somewhere because one of the columns is not getting renamed properly. And I need to figure out, I, I think, I think that's causing the, the problem. So. Okay. We can talk about that today. So essentially mapping these things out. So it seems that the sales items just have They have the global inventory ID. And so then we have to then hunt down the inventory item. And then I think the inventory item has the lab result ID that we need. Right. Well, actually, the lab results have the inventory ID. Um, exactly. So, so basically, we have to match them via the the invent like the inventory item is the middleman, so to speak. Although I kind of remember there was something like that inventory ID doesn't match the batch ID. And if you have to go maybe I had to go to the batch file and get the inventory ID from that in order to make it work. Uh, You're saying bat file, B A T? B-A-T-C-H. It's a oh, batch file. Pardon batch, me. Oh, they're batches of, it's batches of, um, of cannabis. Oh, gotcha. I thought it was dot bat. I was like, okay, thanks. So we'll need to make a mental map of it. So to, wel to welcome Paul. So we're just talking about how we're planning on wrangling the, the sales data for the future. However, ah. however, for today, Charles and Heather, and Paul, if you're still on board, Paul has put together some groundbreaking research on cannabis dispensaries. So I was thinking that today would be a um, you know a good platform for Paul to present. So maybe at the end we can talk a bit more about wrangling these sales items. But what do you think, Paul? Do you want to present your market basket analysis? Sure. Yeah. Um. What I'll do if sorry with you, Keegan, is I'll go through some just highlights of the paper that I did. So there's some visuals that people that people, <laughs> Heather and Charles and and you can look at. Um, so I was gonna start off just by conceptually telling you what market basket analysis is, um, and then go from there if that sounds okay. Definitely. So usually I'm up on my podium. So this week let's let's listen to your research so I, i'm all ears and i've got a couple questions and then yeah, and anyone feel free to chime in if you've got questions at any point so all right the floor great. is yours paul all right so i'm gonna just gonna share out um some information here this is from my um, graduate project um, on market basket analysis used to identify interesting product combinations um uh, in dispensaries so uh, can everybody see my screen? Yes. Okay. Yes. All right. So market basket analysis has been around for a long time as a, as a data mining technique. Um, it started in the early 
1990s when point of sale systems came on board um, where at the checkout counter you could scan in the UPC code and uh, it helped out the checkout person to speed up the process of uh, tallying up what you bought and also uh, helped uh, inventory control with everything that was in a, in a grocery store or retail store. Um, so these systems really came into full swing in the, in the early 90s. Um, that combined with the low cost of uh, data storage really kind of set the stage for a perfect storm in the real retail market for uh, deeper analytics because all this information was being collected. Um, so research was done uh, by a couple of um, uh, kind of groundbreaking scientists at the time uh, in this area, and uh, they came up with this approach. Um, and it's, it's called different terms, but probably the most popular term is market basket analysis. Uh, and the idea behind market basket analysis is that if customers buy products in certain combinations, it can tell you a little bit of a story. So if you're, uh, I guess, some examples here uh, in the middle of the page here. So if you buy peanut butter at the, the grocery store, you may be likely to buy jelly. Um, and something that's maybe even more interesting would be if uh, in the third example, if you bought hot dogs and buns, you may be likely to buy ketchup. So you kind of get the idea that these interesting, uh, useful combinations start to emerge in the data. So um, I thought it'd be interesting to apply this um, kind of proven technique to a new market, which is cannabis retail sales in dispensaries to see if um, we could start seeing, uh, you know, it's more of an exploratory analysis to see what kind of product groupings are starting to pop up. Um, so before I could really do that, um, I reached out to, uh, to Keegan and he was kind enough to, and Charles, uh, both of you are kind enough to help me out and get me started uh, with a data set. And that was the uh, Michigan State, um, uh, seed to sale, uh, Michigan State, I'm sorry, Washington State, uh, seed to sale uh, data set. So um, I, I've got those raw files and um, imported those uh, up into the cloud and had to do some data conversion and things to make them uh, usable. And the files were very, very large, uh, larger than what I'm typically used to working on. Um, you know, on personal projects at work, I, I work on some large data sets, but this is this is pretty good size. Can, um, I ask so, you, yeah. can I ask you how large were the files once they were unzipped? So these sales yeah. items, um, is so, that the data you were working with? Yeah, yeah. So some of the largest ones were about 15 gig. Um, and of course that was too way too large to work on my local laptop. Um, and they would just keep they just keep crashing. So that that information is out actually on Google Cloud, and I think I've got about a week's worth of free time left um, to to use those those uh, those uh, tables that I my uh, exported up to the cloud. Um, so if you guys are interested to try and take a look at those before the the free the free um, uh, cloud, I guess uh, they give you like a. 60 or 90 days worth of free time. Well, um, if you guys are interested in trying to get access to that, we can figure that out in case you want to poke around. Well, the task that I had kind of set Charles down this rabbit hole um, and I can talk to you about it as well is there's this one data point that I really need um, essentially trying to answer the, the long question, does THC matter? And right. so 
that is the total sales per lab result. And so the, the algorithm that I sketched out, um, let me open it up so I can essentially mm -hmm. just read it verbatim. Um, because I basically wrote like an algorithm that, okay, so how can we go about getting these Okay. You, so you and Charles aren't working with com with uh, complete data sets, are you? Or are are you? Well, essentially, we were just reading in the sales items chunk by chunk, and so you've okay. got them in the cloud. But regardless, the logic is is still similar. Mm -hmm. Given the sales items, each sale item has a global inventory ID. Mm -hmm. If you match the global inventory ID to the inventories, you can get the global lab result ID. And essentially, we would like to just iterate over all the sales items and then add the price total for each sale item to a running total for each global lab result ID. So let's go through those IDs one more time. Is this for the Washington state data? Is this for a different state? Yes, this is the, this should be the same data set that you've been yeah. working with. Okay. The sales so you have, you have a sales item ID to a global inventory ID, and then the global inventory ID goes to just the, what was the next one? It goes to the inventories. So there's um, a oh, data inventories. Set. Yeah. yeah. There's a data set called inventories. Inventories, yeah. Mm -hmm. And it has a global ID. Right. And so that should be your connection there. And then the inventories data set has the, the global lab result ID. Okay. Global lab result. And, it, and that would have the price, that final lab result. Exactly. And so then if you're thinking about just like an Excel spreadsheet, essentially, mm -hmm. I just would love one column that's just global lab result ID. Mm -hmm. And then the other column is total sales. Okay. So lab result ID plus the total sales column. And so essentially what I'm trying to get after there is a couple things. One, that's... If you take the average of that, that's the that's the expected cost of failure. So that's an interesting metric. And then two, I want to run a regression of total sales on on two things. One, on cannabinoid concentration to find out if there's a statistically significant relationship between, say, THC and sales, or even CBD and sales. Mm -hmm. And then also, well, I was actually talking to a purchasing manager recently. So someone who does purchasing for a retailer, a large retailer. And so they said in the early days, so they've been in the industry maybe 12 years or so. And so they said in the early days, uh, you know, your buddy would come over and they would just, they would, they would, you know, manually just, they would just try a sample out and that's how product was sold. These days, you know, the large retailer will 
they'll typically get a they'll get an Excel spreadsheet and maybe you know 30 certificates of analysis and then they need to select their purchases based off of those certificate of analyses and yeah. so so it's real interesting because you know they're not actually seeing the product hands-on they just have to go straight off the, the certificates and so I asked this purchasing manager, okay, what are the variables that you look at on a certificate? Okay. And surprisingly, they said, you know, you look at your cannabinoids. And surprisingly, they said they look at the moisture content because their this yes. purchasing manager was taking a moisture corrected adjustment of the cannabinoid concentrations. So you would divide by one plus the moisture content to try to be able to compare products with different moisture contents. Uh, so trying to, they're trying to uh, normalize, normalize it so they can compare. Exactly. And so I'm interested to, to look at this question because just anecdotally, I, in my personal belief is that maybe the, the lower quality cannabis may tend to be drier um and then the, the it's a tricky balance i don't think you want like overly moist cannabis but i don't think you want overly dry cannabis either um, yeah it's not unlike the idea behind a, a humidor and, and cigars right exactly and so i'm curious i'm just curious what does the thc concentration even look like once you take the moisture correction and two if that introduces another interesting question is okay let's say you know we're asking the question does thc predict sales well we can also ask which predicts sales better just your thc content mm -hmm. or your moisture corrected thc content right or any other factor you might consider exactly yeah and so at least starting with those two, you know, we could just do a regression and essentially whichever regression has the high, higher R squared, mm -hmm. that, that variable would do a better job of explaining total sales. So then you could tell purchasing managers, hey, you know, from the data, it's better to make your purchases based off of either the THC concentration or the moisture corrected. THC concentration. Right. Yeah, that's a valuable decision point, right? Um, so I'll take a look at that, Keegan, as far as pulling that data together. So just let me uh, go through that one more time to make sure I've got the tables and fields knitted together correctly. So you've got the sales item ID. Um, and of course, the sale item has a global um, inventory ID. Is, right? is that right? Exactly. And here, I'll dump yeah. it in the chat and also um, send send it to you afterwards okay and then i'll see what i can find for you and charles as far as pulling that data out um so, and if it's you know depending on the size of the file that it generates um we can we can get that to you exactly and it should be the file size shouldn't be it may be a few gigabytes so you may need to share it via google drive or something but mm -hmm. it shouldn't be overly large because it's just an observation for each lab result id yeah. So, okay. Yeah, I'd be glad to do that. So, so, sorry to take up your time and send you on no, a wild goose chase, all. but 
but that's yep. the direction that uh, yeah, that my my research is heading. So, and then yeah, what's possible we could look at it next week. Sure. You know, I, I, what's great is because you're talking to so many people in the industry, you're finding out what's important to them, and that's what matters. So, yes. um, I think we've got a new guest joining here in one second. So, sure. so, so, welcome, Brad. Welcome to the Cannabis Data Science Meetup Group. We're discussing cannabis sales at dispensaries. And Paul is presenting what's called a market basket analysis, which essentially looks at the breakdown of products that people buy at the same time. Okay. So, well, welcome we'll to have you. And Thanks. Sorry, I'm late. Yeah, no Brad. Um, so I was just going through some very generic examples of, of uh, what market basket analysis, they're called association rules, look like in a grocery store setting before going into what doing the same thing in a, in a, uh, in a dispensary setting. So, so there's a few examples here. I just was mentioning that, uh, if you went to a store and lots of customers, you know, bought hot dogs and hot, hot dog buns, then you could potentially infer that they would buy ketchup. And that's kind of what market basket analysis is, right? It just has these different common sense associations. Sometimes they're not so common sense. You can find some interesting things, but these little association rules pop up in, in uh, retail sales. So on the project that I did, um, I looked at, I wanted to look at uh, some good candidate dispensaries uh, to run this analysis on. So part of my process was picking out uh, three, what I, what I decided was going to be three dispensaries to run this analysis on. And I did that uh, let's see if I can come here. So uh, the, the criteria for picking uh, dispensaries to do, run my analysis on, there's three or four factors I was looking at. I was looking at dispensaries, the, the total number of sales transactions that a dispensary would have. So the higher the number of transactions, the better, because it would be could potentially be a richer data set to look at. Um, and along the same lines, total revenue. So those dispensaries that are just selling a lot. Um, also here in uh, panel C, there's dispensaries with the distinct, distinct product sold. So they've got a lot of variety that they're selling to their customers. And then probably one of the more interesting parts is I wanted to differentiate dispensaries by the, uh, the area that you can find them in based on the median income in their zip code area. So we have dispensaries that are in lower income areas and some in higher income areas. And I wanted to pick uh, dis uh, three dispensaries that represented that, that span of median income. And if you look at this distribution here, we've got the count of dispensaries on our y-axis, uh, how many fell into these different uh, levels of median income across the bottom here. And you kind of get this uh, bimodal distribution here where you've got this big hump here in the lower median income bracket and then more towards the uh, the medium income bracket you've got this other hump and then actually it's, i guess it's trimodal so and then finally you've got a higher income median income bracket where dispensaries are located so i i took that signal uh, and broke it into these three different sections with these dotted lines and decided that i was going to 
pick a dispensary out of each one of these three areas uh, that I was going to run my market basket analysis on. So if you come to these, these three plots here, we've got every dot here represents a dispensary. And this is in the low median income bracket, less than 80K per year in median income. And then on the left-hand side, we have the count of products that the dispensary is selling. Across the x-axis is the number of transactions. And then the size of the bubble is the amount of uh, uh, sales they're making. So we've got in this particular left-hand plot here, we've got four variables, count of products, number of transactions, the median income bracket it's in, and then the size of the bubble is how much money they're making. So looking at these three distributions by income level, I picked uh, these three different dispensaries. Um, and so DL means dispensary low, DM is dispensary medium, and DH is dispensary high. Um, and I forgot where I put it in my paper, but they they these dispensaries map to specific dispensaries in uh, Washington State. And I forget, I think... I think DL here is Zips um, Dispensary, and I forgot what the other two were called off the top of my head. So those were the three dispensaries that I picked to run my market basket analysis on. Um, here we go. Here they are. <laughs> uh, so the low the low income dispensary is Zips. The median is a place called PRC, and the high median income is a place called Green Theory Factoria. Um, and I think Green Theory Factory is in, is it, is it called Bellevue, Kagan? I think they use yes, Bellevue. It's Bellevue. So that's yeah. where Microsoft is headquartered. So Right, right. So kind of more of an upmarket area, I guess. So those are the three dispensaries. Um, not now, that, mm -hmm, go ahead. Not to throw you off, off track, I just sort of had a question while we're on the previous chart. So... At um, Canacon, I heard, let's see, it, it was the president of Love Buds to Brett Harris, and he was talking about, so he, he runs uh, a retail chain, and he was talking about, okay, so what does he do? He's constantly stocking new products and stocking a lot of products. Hmm. So it looks like, in looking from your charts, there may be a positive correlation between just the number of products you have in your transactions. Is that something that you saw or? What, so the number of the count of products and the number of transactions, like a, a positive correlation, it does seem to, to be that way if that's what you're saying, yeah. And I guess, I guess, I guess the, bigger, the bigger question would be, essentially do stores with the more variety do they have higher sales on average uh i see what you're saying um he um i guess not necessarily when you say uh, as overall sales um not necessarily so if you look at the size of the bubbles in these three charts, DL and DH are, I think, about the same size. So they have the same amount of uh, income. Um, 
So, and then you got the counter product so that DH has less products, less number of transactions, but they are making, they must be a charging a premium for what they're selling, I guess. Would be my, just my hypothesis. So you're saying DH? So DH in the high median income area, they have lower number of transactions, lower counter products, but the size of their bubble is not much different than DL. So in other words, they're making relatively the same amount of, of money, not too, too much difference. Ooh. Okay. Okay. I see that the size of the bubble is their revenue. So yeah, one could argue that they're not in the same markets. Um, so one could Absolutely. argue, yeah, so one could argue that DH is only competing against, well, it may not be competing against all the other ones. Um, I guess these may not necessarily be in the same geographic region. So, no, I, I don't believe they are. And, um, and I can get you more information on that, but I think the DH is more probably a boutique. I would think more of a boutique type business. Um, and they, they have more margin. They can charge higher prices just because that's what the market will bear. Can I just ask, uh, are the number of transactions, the number of total transactions, so if people are buying more, that would be per transaction that could make a, a higher revenue? Oh, I see what you're saying. So for every transaction, are they buying more products per transaction? Yeah, people buying $400 um, worth instead of $100 worth. Uh, yeah, I guess that that could be possible. Yeah, that could be possible. And I actually didn't look into um, segmenting out the transactions by like products purchased in a specific transaction. I was looking just at dollar amounts of transaction, but it could be. So long story short, I'll let you continue, Paul. I just wanted to bring up the fact that I think people that run re, um, retail establishments, they may they may want to stress variety, but um, yeah. at least that's what that yeah. one manager was saying. Yeah, no, and thank you for the questions because whenever I, I'm presenting something and people start digging and asking more questions, that means it we're kind of onto something, right? I mean, it seems to make sense. And it, if it generates more questions, then it probably has, there's more value there to be had. So thanks, thanks for that. Um, so yeah, this was my kind of simple way of trying to find some good candidate uh, dispensaries to run my market basket analysis on. So something to know about market basket analysis is there's a couple of different metrics that you use to determine how important your association rules are. So, you know, peanut butter jelly is likely to yield a, a bread purchase. That particular combination has a value, has several different kinds of values attributed to it. Um, in my analysis, I'm using three different metrics to determine how valuable those combinations are. Um, the most basic one is called support, and that's on the, the x-axis here. And support is considered kind of um, a populator, popularity measure, right? So out of all the different rule combinations I could produce, some are gonna rise to the top, all right? And it's a very simple proportional metric. It's that's called support. There's another metric called confidence. And when you look at a rule, as we've seen before, you've got peanut butter and jelly is likely to yield bread. You've got two parts of the rule. There's the peanut butter and jelly and there's the bread. So you got the uh, antecedent, which comes first, and the consequent that comes second. So you got two pieces. 
And the likelihood or the strength of association with the first part of the rule going to the second part of the rule, and I hope this is making sense, is kind of the tightness of association going in one direction. It's called the confidence. And that's what we've got here on the left-hand side. So you got popularity, you got strength of association in one direction. And then there's an, a final or final uh, measurement called lift. And lift um, takes into, into account the strength of association in both directions. So if I have peanut butter, what's my strength of association with bread? And then if I have bread, what's my strength of association with peanut butter and jelly? I think I left jelly out the first part there. Um, and that's in a, a much stronger uh, metric to use than, than confidence. So when we look at this chart here, we're really looking for those items that have the highest support and the highest lift. Um, and lift is based on the darkness of the color and support is how far over to the right it is. Um, we only see a, a few plot points here because there's literally thousands upon thousands of combinations and we can set thresholds that screen out kind of the, the very numerous low interest combinations that have kind of low value for us. And we just, we can set those thresholds for support uh, and confidence. We can set those thresholds and only tease out those things that are kind of at the top of the pyramid, so to speak. Um, and so that's what these scattered plots are here, just um, various association rule combinations that have kind of bubbled to the top. And um, I'm going to show you what those associations look like for the three dispensaries, the actual rules. So this is a bit of an eye chart. Let me see if I can zoom in a little bit here. Um, so here is our top 10 association rules for the DL dispensary low median income. And we can see right out the right out the gate here, we've got a wax called Chernobyl and another wax called pink. And those two together were bought in association with wax called a wax called Starfighter. Um, and you notice that all these rules down here, and these are all ranked by lift, that strength of association between the two rules back and forth. Um, and a, a lift value starts at one and it can go up to, you know, I've seen them up into the 170s before. Um, but something like around 75 is a pretty, very, you know, reasonably strong association between these two halves of the rule. Um, and so, but we notice right off the gate, right off the, off the gate here that um, all we're dealing with here are wax products, which I thought was, a, to me, was a, not know much about the industry. It was pretty interesting because uh, I would have expected to see more kind of like a cross, uh, cross association with other types of products. But I was talking about some of these results with Keegan, and it seems like just at first blush that uh, the cannabis industry might be like the alcohol business, right? Where you might be a beer drinker or a wine drinker or a spirits drinker, and you kind of stay in your swim lane. You, know, you stick with the things that you like. So um, Could, the next table. Yeah, go ahead. chime in for a second? Yeah. So I was just thinking, so I, I don't know. So if we hearken back, if 
a few months ago, we talked about inflation and we looked at, okay, in Oregon and we, we hypothesized, okay, what if we've essentially said, okay, what if people buy a basket of goods and they buy 60% flour, 40% wax? So that was just an assumption we made that, okay, you know, people are, you know, spending 60% of their money on flour, 40% on concentrates. Well, that may just be the breakdown of the market. You know, flour people may buy 100% flour, concentrate people may buy 100% concentrates. So there really may not be the you know, people buying these baskets is essentially, is that that's what I'm starting to take away. But yeah. But, but anyways, just then jump in real quick. I'll let you get back. Yeah, no, that's that's a good observation. And, you know, got to keep in mind, we're only looking at three stores here. And um, it'd be interesting to look at a lot more to try and get a sense of of, of that. But it's you're, you're right. It seems like that's kind of the direction this is pointing in. Um, so the second table here is for the median income uh, dispensary. And here we do see a, a little bit of uh, a mix of different products. But when I say a mix, um, there's there's two different categories. There's blunts and there's waxes. But again, they're not being bought in uh, in tandem together. They're blunts are with blunts and waxes are with waxes. Um, and so we can see that these rules here seem to be consistent in, in you know people staying in their own consumer swim lane. Um, and then finally, um, with the high median income dispensary. Um, there's a little more going on here and the, the category changes over to consumables. Um, am I saying that right, Keegan? Consumables or so these are well, like, oh, yeah, actually, I, sorry, there's pre-rolls in here as well. I, sorry, my, my bad. So I think they may, I would, so I think we're, we're seeing is it a few edibles. So there's like the panda, the panda fruit drops look like, look like edibles. Same for yeah. the blueberry belt, apple rings. The, yeah. Those, I, those sound a lot. Actually, and given that they say 100 milligrams, typically that's a giveaway that you're working with an edible. Yes. Okay. Okay, that's good to know. So um, edibles and then pre-rolls are in here as well. But again, if you look at the top rule, we got pre-rolls with pre-rolls, go down a few, and you've got edibles with edibles. So it seems like people are staying, still staying consistent in, in purchasing the things that they like to, you know, the, the same category of things together. Um, but, but those are higher end, more expensive items. Uh, okay. Okay. And this is this is what I found too. I've just found that yeah, edibles they're they're priced high for you know, and so it's yeah, it's real interesting that you're finding that those are you know some of the top pairings at this is the dispensary in Bellevue. Yeah. Yeah. And so this is what, I mean, this is interesting in that, you know, I don't know if edibles cost more to produce, um, therefore they're just a higher selling product. But what's really interesting is the, is the demographics because maybe there's more disposable income here, but also uh, smoking in and of itself, and I'm going out on a limb here, but it, 
you know, as time has gone by, especially over the last, you know, 20, 30 years, smoking has been kind of um, looked down upon as being obviously a less healthy lifestyle. But here you can still consume cannabis and not have to worry about the smoking aspect of it. But I mean, pre-rolls are here. We see that. That's so popular. But can, can so, I just throw in an economic concept real quick? I'm not sure how sure. it plays plays in. But essentially, the amount that you can raise prices depends on essentially the price elasticity that consumers have for a given good. So I'm thinking that edibles may have a fairly inelastic, um, they may be fairly inelastic in regards to price. So people who aren't going to buy edibles, they're just not going to buy them even if you mark them way down. And then the people who are going to buy them are still going to buy them even if you mark them way up. So that may be what we're seeing with edibles where there's just, there's low elasticity of demand. So they're just raising the price. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of, it's interesting about going through this, this work is just, there's a lot of, once you start seeing some of the results, it just, your mind immediately wants to try and start filling in the the gaps in some of these things, um, which I think is really compelling. It'd be fun to do more work in this area um, or also, you know, work with a, with a dispensary with, maybe their uh, point of sale data set that they actually have from the store. And if they were willing to share that, just kind of dive deep into their particular, um, their particular market basket analysis and do some more work in that area. And um, but I, that this, go ahead, Keegan. I just think it's so interesting seeing yeah, the pre-rolls being at one of the top selling pairs at the Bellevue one. So. Maybe that's those are just people just going and getting a couple pre rolls, but that, that was that's unexpected to me. Um, so yeah, anyway, I, anyways, I'll let you yeah. back. Sure. No, I'm almost done here. I just wanted to, you know, um, kind of fair warning with any kind of research project. Project, there are limitations here, um, and one of the limitations I ran into with the market basket analysis is that. Um, I'm doing a market basket analysis on these very specific product names. Um, and typically you do market basket analysis on categories of, of uh, purchased items. So not necessarily um, skippy peanut butter, but just peanut butter, right? Um, and what that does is if you have kind of this in intermediate naming convention for your different products, you tend to get a richer data set at the end of it. Um, and for instance, the support values of these, these combinations are very, very low, which means they're, they're low, low popularity compared to all the, ro the rules that are available. But that's because there's just so many rules because there's so many different name products and it just gets very, very granular, very noisy. So follow on work for this. I would think there would need to be some, uh, a naming convention or, a taxonomy developed where each of these different types of products like, you know, um, edibles and pre-rolls actually fit into something that's not really just like an edible category because that's too general, but something in between. Um, and so I think we could squeeze more value out of this by developing that taxonomy um, and then, you know, approaching a customer and, and running through the analysis for them. So, um, so I just wanted to share that. I think 
So in that vein, it may be one of the variables that you have to sort of chain in there. However, there should be essentially what's called an intermediate type for these these products. There, there is uh, that intermediate type. There's a, I think there's like 24, some around 24 different types uh, that you can assign these uh, products to. Um, but uh, and we could definitely do an analysis of that level. But I still think that is that would be too high uh, or too broad or vague. Oh, oh okay. So I see what you're saying. So yeah. you're looking for something more granular than the intermediate types, but yeah. not quite so granular as these just these Absolutely. strain yeah. names. Yeah. Um, and I, yeah, and I think that's a value proposition for anybody that's going to be doing um, cannabis sales analytics, especially in, in kind of customer segmentation. And just this, this type of technique is we'd have to develop some sort of, um, you know, nomenclature that we could use that these products could fit into and and this is where like you said the retail establishment by retail establishment analysis may work well because different retailers may have different naming conventions so for example this is maybe to not granular enough but most retail places they typically mark flower as either hybrid indica or sativa just to kind of put mm -hmm. them in three broad categories of flower so right. that would be helpful yeah. so for your market basket analysis like i think it would be interesting you could apply it just to flower so like what i would mm -hmm. expect is um you know so it'd be interesting to see okay do people buy hybrids with sativas do they buy a mix of indica and sativa yeah. so yeah that's a great idea keegan um you know it's, it's some work would more work would have to be done but it seems like you know people buy within their particular swim lane of product so we could just pluck out a swim lane um recategorize the products that are in that particular swim lane and, and run an analysis within that yeah so for flower for edibles, for, you know, whatever. And I'm not certain if they I'm, don't know as much about the concentrates. They may still do the hybrid sativa indica dichotomy, or I guess not a dichotomy, but they may do that distinction with oils. I'm not certain they do, though. So They do. Yes. Oh, they do. So, okay. So, so Heather, Heather's chiming in. So, so yeah, so there's even that distinction within, within concentrates as well. Yeah. Yes. Oils, concentrates, so RSOs and concentrates. Absolutely. So I wonder if it'd be worthwhile to um, pull out from the, the Washington State data, pull out the those 24, 25 or whatever it is, different kinds of categories, send it out to the group and see if they have any recommendations for under each one of those categories, how they could be broken down into um, kind of a more granular description. Definitely. So that way we can get some better categories for you. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll, I'll do that. I'll send it out to the group. And if anybody wants to chime in with their opinion, I'd be glad to, to, to see any kind of input that there is. Um, but that's essentially uh, it for the, 
the research I did here. Um, are there any other other questions before I hand it back over to you, Keegan? I had a quick question. Mm -hmm. Hey, okay. So the um, global vari variables that you're referring to, that's global to your state where I can't pick up that ID and use that like a VIN anywhere in the mm -hmm. U.S. to be able to locate that. That's maybe Is that your point or is that, um, so you're saying global to your state? Well, so this is, this is interesting. So this is specific to Washington state, at least the IDs are. And so this is where each state is its own little island in the cannabis space. However, one could start to potentially draw some inferences. So you could see, oh, in Washington state, at uh, this dispensary in Bellevue, they're primarily selling edibles. So maybe you could try to find like uh, like a sister city, so to speak, of Bellevue in your given state. So okay, in Maryland, you know, what are some of the you know higher income uh, localities? And then they those may be selling mostly edibles, or they may. So you can start to draw inferences, but it is still they they are still islands at at this time. Thank you. At least that, that's my take. Is that essentially how you would explain things, Paul? Or uh, That seems reasonable to me. Okay. All right. My, my main question is kind of broad is just, do we just know like the percent, like the percentage breakdowns of these? Like, um, well, I guess that's more just the, the intermediate types. So like essentially like like how much concentrates being sold, how much flowers being sold or um, yeah, I didn't I didn't really look at um, look at the percentages by those categories. But that's that's a good I mean to your point, if you mentioned this several times when dealing with these data sets is getting basic summary statistics is the starting point really, isn't it? I mean, that should inform some of the questions and levels of um, uh, kind of research that you want to head in. But uh, for this particular project, I didn't actually do any of those, those summaries. It's okay. It, it's just sort of, you know, the, the state where we're at, you know, so a lot of other industries, these summary statistics, people just sort of know offhand, oh, you know, like, you know, at the, like, for example, at the grocery stores, they have a much better idea of, okay, what's the breakdown of people buying milk and things like that. So, oh, yeah, I mean, they, that's, yeah, they've had that stuff for years and years and so, they know it inside and out. Yeah. So, so that's why the summary statistics are just so meaningful. And I've just found that if you just keep uh, taking like conditional, <laughs> conditional averages, you can get really far with that. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I think this is incredibly interesting. So unless anyone else wants to chime in, basically what my main takeaway is, is and it kind of confirmed a, a sneaking suspicion I had was there's almost just different types of cannabis consumers. Yeah. And they don't cross. Um, so and so it may like so for example like the cross-selling it may be like futile so like you know if 
like you're a, like a flower person, it really may just be tough for you, anyone to convince you to spend money on a pre-roll or spend money on an edible or oils. Yeah, mm -hmm. don't waste your time trying to convert somebody that's not going to get converted. Yeah. So, so that that was my main like takeaway that you can like act on today is upsell versus cross sell <laughs> if you're at a yeah. retail. That's that's a great that's a great way of putting it, Keegan. Yeah, and I didn't I didn't really think of it in those terms, but yeah, upsell as opposed to cross sell. Yeah, if you're into edibles, you can every every form of the flower or the product may work for you. So if you consume edibles, the flower, the concentrate, RSOs, those will work for you. So edibles are sold sort of as an alternative to smoking. Mm. And so and, and and I believe that's why they sort of you know they, they get a premium for them. They also I think are more expensive to produce. I'm sure they're more expensive to produce. Yes. Um, you know, pre-rolls, I mean, somebody has to do the, well, I'm sure it's done by machine, the, you know, they're, they're pre-rolled, but it is an extra step in the process. And it's probably geared more towards people who don't have like smoking paraphernalia or don't have the skills to roll their own and can or, afford to have someone else do it for them. Right. Or they just don't want to, they, they're not too thrilled about the smell, right? There's always that aspect of it as well. So. It's, in, it's interesting. Um, so I think the, the, the pre-rolls are worth looking at more. So that was one that always sort of flew under my radar. So I just n never paid too much attention to those. But there was a talk at uh, this latest CanaCon about pre-rolls. And they're maybe more popular than I, than I give them credit for. So that's another takeaway. Yeah. Also, it's uh, good to see you, uh, Tafik. I w was going to say hey and introduce you to the group. But I didn't want to interrupt Paul. So, so, so now, uh, yeah, I wasn't sure endeavor. what a good point to do that was. So, but it's uh, good yeah, to have actually, you. So, um, and you too, Brad. So, yeah. I guess before we get out of here, you wouldn't mind maybe introducing yourselves just so we can get to know each other. Yeah, no problem. Um, so currently, I'm a student in a data science boot camp right now. Going okay. through, thankful, I'm coming up on the last bit. Uh, so pretty much like final capstones, uh, technical interviews, like learning how to proceed through those. And then on the side, which is why I found this particular media very interesting, is I work part-time at a dispensary. So uh, this was very, very interesting and up the eye. So I'm listening in a little bit more intensely <laughs> to like how you guys are collecting data, how you guys are analyzing it. Because uh, at least for me, like if I use cannabis, like I don't use pre-rolls at all um, because they are more convenient. But I mean, the smell is a factor. Um, living situation is a factor. And then uh, I think tolerance is also like, a very nebulous concept as well to where if you are used to edibles or concentrate for instance then maybe pre-rolls don't hit as consistently so but yeah uh, that's a cool topic that it's your um that you're enrolled in a program and you work at a dispensary you're kind of at a really cool nexus there in between those two those two overlaps um but if you have any 
like further questions about the stuff that I did here because I just this was part of my graduate program and this was part of my capstone. Well, this was my capstone. Um, oh, okay. So yeah, so okay. if you have you reach out if you have any other questions, whatever they are. It'll be interesting. Yeah, I'll probably hang around afterwards. Okay. You'll have to to just share some anecdotal evidence if you can with us and just just kind of or just or just keep an eye out yourself and just see like okay like are people mixing products and then if so like what are they mixing um yes yes um even like when they're like, purchasing or usage so basically like so when a consumer comes in if they buy more than one product, what are those products? So are they buying a wax and an edible? Are they buying a wax and an RSO? Are they buying like two things of flour? So so that's sort of the idea is what like combination of products, if any, are people generally buying? This sort of we're trying to figure out. So. I have to think about that. There's like a lot of, I don't know if this is very universal across dispensaries uh, in Michigan or even in other states like Washington or California, but I know that the dispensary that I work at runs promotions specifically to either double up on certain products or like bundle deals or like specials like buy two of any brand product and then you mm -hmm. get one free of a equal or lesser value so typically sometimes uh they'll buy maybe flour or edibles and then maybe some paraphernalia or maybe an edible on top of that but it's i haven't seen enough to kind of like make a kind of consistent rule i would say and i don't have access to this data although i've been trying to ask for it <laughs> well, well it, and that's why you know you kind of mix the the anecdotes with the data right so you look at the data to actually get the the look and then you know you just do your real world observations just to make sure things are you know just for like a sanity check essentially <laughs> so in what what you mentioned with the the discounts is those look to me like essentially quantity discounts right, so the bundling so it seems like just people have just sort of stumbled, or maybe they've done the research at the dispensary, but it seems that people have just kind of come to the realization that, okay, we can sell more by giving people quantity discounts, maybe not necessarily, you know, cross-promotional. Yeah, this is great that you're able to, to join today, Todd, because they're based on the, the this conversation it kind of aligns with what we're seeing in in the in the results that people stay within, within their own products and so much so that it seems like uh dispensaries either just going to try and upsell or try and increase quantity but they're not going to really bother with trying to cross sell so it seems like it's it, it heading in that direction anyway it could even lead for like future you know some future future research because if we've got these different consumer groups then it may be worth trying to figure out okay what puts a consumer in a particular group and yeah. so i think this is where 
there is some sort of research being done. So this is where, where I was saying a lot of people are, you know, interested in, okay, what are like the demographics of cannabis consumers? Yeah. What demographics buy certain products? So now I think we're finally sort of joining the current state of cannabis research, which is basically what what do different people buy? Right. So we're, we're finally, you know, connecting, you know, connecting all the dots here. Yeah, it'd be nice to know what some other people have done in in, this, in uh, consumer analytics in this space. Um, I don't know. I I know Brad hasn't had much chance to talk, but it, I was just curious what Brad's background is and if he's got any overlap in this space or any of the other spaces within the industry. Uh, no, not really. I uh, I've been a contract uh, software developer most of my life, and I'm uh, you know making a break into. Uh, into data science, I uh, had some work at Leo Burnett, a marketing company in this space. And, oh, cool. Um, taking a boot camp now, so, mm -hmm. so I'm kind of new also. Very good. Definitely. It's, it's really interesting to see the work you're doing. It's, it's, so, it's neat things. Really, the, the only things I've seen people concretely do are just age and gender. So, okay, you know, I just vaguely remember that I think older people tend to buy more edibles. That was the main breakaway. Um, and then of course, there's, I think there's more male consumers. You're just, uh, that's just the way the cannabis industry is. It's kind of dominated by young males. Um, but not, but that's the whole thing is not, it may be for specific products, right? So if you look at edibles, young males may not necessarily be the people buying edibles per se. Right. So, yeah. so that's, that's kind of what people are breaking into, but there's just, I was just saying there's just so much more that can be done there. Absolutely. Yeah. I wonder if part of it, because I know that when we scan IDs, at least in the state of Michigan, the only demographic data that is collected is i mean i do think that the gender is collected and there is a non-binary option but i don't know if that's included in any of the database that we have internally mm -hmm. um so i don't know whether we even have any in-house like data analytics that's being done because usually for like rewards or anything like that we go through a third party called i think alpine iq and they run some analytics software but there isn't really anything done on our end specifically. Okay. This is the, the final tidbit I've got to offer. So the other thing that I heard was, okay, people tend to only buy things like within their immediate zip code or potentially on the way to work. So the way we could potentially look at this in Washington state is just say, okay, people are probably buying things locally so you could like try to maybe do some correlation between like you were saying like essentially your your income and then like the average sales in that zip code so mm -hmm. maybe your income affects the products you buy and then you can add whatever variables you can potentially get at the zip code level so yeah yeah some summary summary stats at the zip code level based on median income could probably confirm a lot of that. Maybe 
profession. I don't know if you can uncover that, like what profession you work at may determine. I don't know. I'm just spitballing at this yeah. point. So, but yeah. So the median income by zip code I got from the U.S. Census Bureau um, from their website. So they may have other interesting geographic. Um, you could do average age. So yeah. Yeah, there, should, there could be some uh, quite a few other things that we could tie into that just by knowing the zip code of the dispensary. So, I, so that brings us here to the end of the hour. And so I think, Paul, you've did, done a fantastic job. So I think it's groundbreaking research. I think it answers an important question. Do people buy different types of goods? And I think it provides evidence that there's distinct consumers and everybody can take their own takeaways from this, but I think that that in itself is valuable to retailers because now you just know that if you're trying to cross sell, you may be barking up the wrong tree. So. Yeah. Yeah. And, and thanks to you and Charles for um, kind of taking me into the group here a few months back and getting me started. And uh, I really appreciate the help you've given me. It was a great presentation. Thank you. It's very, very interesting. So it's given us a lot of avenues. And so for next week, we'll try to wrangle the sales per lab result and then see if THC matters. And then if so, how much? <laughs> so, um, Just so before you wrap up, one quick thing. Um, and I don't know if I, I is it Tafik? I'm sorry if I'm pronouncing you wrong incorrectly. Um, uh, that's close enough. <laughs> okay. Well, um, I, just to let you know, I do have to drop. I know you wanted to talk, but I, I'm on my lunch break, so I have to drop, but I'll reach out to you through, through the meetup. Um, so if you have any follow on questions, we can talk. Okay. Perfect. That sounds good. Okay. All right. All right, everyone. Well, thank you for coming to the Canvas Data Science Meetup Group and enjoy your week and stay productive. So Thanks. bye guys. Thanks. Bye. Bye. See you next Have a good one. Bye now.